Welcome to BR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR and Education. So today marks an epic milestone for me in the podcast. It's my 50th episode. So when I first started this journey, it was purely just a hobby, and I never really had aspirations of actually making it this far to 50 episodes. But as I talked to more and more people, and as the industry started to grow, I've turned this hobby into almost a passion of mine. So there's no better person to have on my 50th episode than this man. Three years ago, as I jumped into the shallow VR education pool, I was helped along by this man's expertise, his wisdom, and more importantly back then, his tenacity to move people forward on VR. I read a lot of his blogs, and I soaked up some of his early professional development sessions offered, get this, in VR. And back then, I'm sure he was the only one doing it. Steve Bambury has been a pioneer in the world of VR and education for several years now, and he continues to do this in the industry. His insight, his advice, and most importantly, his guidance is wanted by many. He started up a company a few years ago called Digital Inception, and that provides, of course, support to education as well as enterprise on the use of not just VR, but technology and how it can meet their learning needs. So he's here today on my 50th episode to talk about, in general, the state of VR and what it's going to take to keep it moving forward. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. I mean, what an introduction. Thank you very much. Very, very kind words from you. And uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, well deserved, my friend. I, this is a st- standard question I always ask all my guests. And so what got you interested in VR in the first place? Uh, okay, so, I mean, I got my first headset in 2014, which was uh, a, a a foam Evo head- headset that I imported from the States for $35 um, because they weren't available broadly at the time. Uh, and, you know, I, I've told this this tale many times before, you know, I, I, I had an iPhone 4 at the time and I had to wedge... Uh, the phone into the headset using blue tack because the phone was too small for the headset. But to be honest, um, I actually trace my interest in virtual spaces back a little bit further. Uh, and in particular, you know, the, the school that I was working at just Dubai for the, for the better part of, uh, the, of a decade, well, just more, slightly more than a decade from 2008. Um, so Jumeirah English speaking school, one of the most prestigious school groups in, uh, in the Middle East. Um, and I moved here in 2008, moved to Dubai and, and started working for Jess. And in uh, 2011, we were one of the first schools in the region uh, and indeed the world to roll out the use of iPads in the classroom. And so we're doing a lot of work uh, integrating mobile technology, you know, and th- this in turn led to me becoming an Apple distinguished educator, et cetera, et cetera. But there was, there was one project in particular. Um, I was working with uh, year four or grade four, however you want to call it, uh, students at the time, and we were learning about the Vikings. And we were looking for a way to, um, to supercharge a project using mobile technology and, and try and, in particular, try and um, draw the, the boys into the writing process and, and engage boys with creative writing. And uh, there was an app that has sadly died off since that at the time was, was quite popular in ed tech circles called Morpho, which allowed you to take a selfie and then add different filters and essentially create a little uh, animated avatar of yourself. And there were, there were Viking themed assets. So we had the students create these avatars to be the, essentially become the protagonists in their own stories. And then the next stage of the writing process became about obviously the, the setting. And we were trying to write these Beowulf inspired sagas and I stumbled across this app um, called Epic Citadel, which was uh, essentially just a tech demo by Epic Games. Um, and it was a, a, a 3D simulation of, of an empty citadel, of an empty castle that you could use an on-screen controller to move around. There, were no, uh, there was no story. There was no point. There was no you know, interaction or anything. It was literally just a big empty space with, with some you know, uh, ambient sound effects. 
but we we used this to inspire the the writing of the settings for the students and i was just blown away we all were by the the quality of the writing that this experience produced and i then went on a tear through the app store trying to find comparable apps for other genres and found nothing uh, and i remember saying to a colleague of mine at the time you know wh- why doesn't somebody just take grand theft auto and remove all of the you know all of the story and everything and just give us this big virtual space that students can 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 move around inside and um and i think that you know that desire to find that kind of experience that you know i i, I hate to use the word immersive when you're referring to something like that but at the time it was you know somewhat immersive experience i think that informed what became a a, a love of virtual reality and and virtual spaces you know what's so interesting about that story because again i've heard what 49 now 50 of those stories almost is yours is one of the rare ones where it came out of the learning experience most people talk about you know going to the mall and trying on a headset or they got their hands on a Oculus DK1 or a DK2. So uh, very inspiring to hear that yours grew out of your sort of need to solve a problem within learning. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the very first time I tried a six-stop headset, the the original Oculus, was in Dubai Mall. This was probably 2000 and I don't know, what, 15, 16, something like that. And it was, of all people, it was a bank had set up like a promotional stand and I walked past and went, oh, that, that, that's an Oculus Rift. And they went, yeah, yeah, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, brilliant, fantastic, love to have a go. And it was, of course, a roller coaster experience. And it, it was horrific. And I actually, you know, pulled out of it before it finished. I was like, you know, this isn't doing anything for me apart from making my head swim. Um, but, you know, the, the, that the, what led me deeper down the rabbit hole was then um, I – picked up the, the the original HTC Vive. And, and the reason I was so desperate to get my hands on the Vive is, is ultimately because I'd seen the the trailer for Tilt Brush. And the, the second that girl in the trailer, the original trailer for Tilt Brush, the second she painted with fire, I was in, you know, I was like, I've got to try that. That is, if that works the way it, you know, obviously some, sometimes adverts don't really paint the truth. But, you know, I was just thinking if this is even, you know, 50% as good as this looks, this is, you know, this really is something new. This is something completely unfathomable before this this medium. And you're not even a, you know, a painter or an artist, are you? No, 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 not no, at all. No. no. I mean, yeah. I, I've always been somewhat artistic, but not in any way a, a, an artist or, or you know, a, a specialist art teacher or anything, which is why when... I then started to integrate the, you know, and, and you know, test out that the the potential of, of that original Vive um, when I was in Jess, and you know, at that point I had moved into this uh, the final role I had at the company, which was head of digital learning and innovation. You know, I had I was working directly under the, the school director, and I had the, the freedom to innovate and the freedom to to explore, and started to harness. Tilt brush in particular with the art students, you know, to, to watch someone with some genuine artistic skill inside that medium was uh, was just stunning. And in fact, in 2017, I had uh, an IB student be become the first student in the world to submit virtual reality content as part of the IB um, examination as part of her coursework. And, you know, flash forwards four years, you know, I'm no longer at the school, but the, the school now has, you know, a, a dedicated VR setup with, with the art department and, and they've got multiple students using um, VR as a medium for artistic expression. Uh, and, uh, you know, and myself, I've, I've got, I've actually been working with, um, she's 12, a 12 year old um, artist called Yasmeen. Who, who lives here. She's somebody that I ended up connecting with and she was an amazing artist. I introduced her to the medium of VR. She came and helped me with a couple of workshops and I've had her on stage with me at the World Trade Center here during uh, during events. And she's used that to, to kind of launch herself. She's got her own YouTube channel now and, you know, she's, you know, she's connected with people like Rosie Summers and, and a dream brush and getting feedback from them and, you know, getting um, uh, encouragement from them. And, and it, it's it's amazing to watch real artists go you know go to town when they've got access to this impossible yeah, suite of tools kudos to you for you know 
literally springboarding her career. I was lucky enough to listen to you and her talk at the students in VR co- conference, and oh yeah, you know, yeah, she yeah. Just, she just exuded uh, confidence, and and you know I can't wait to see sort of what she's up to in you know two or three years as she starts to blossom. Speaking of that, when we dabble in something, especially for a long enough period of time like you have, we start to sort of you know iterate and think in our minds and and possibly you know change our thinking in regards to a tool you know is there one thing that having dabbled long enough now in vr that you used to think about vr but you've now sort of with more wisdom sort of changed your thinking about um i mean i would say the 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 ratio of devices to students is worth it's worth mentioning, you know, and again, this is something I've said before in interview that the, the fact that I think we were somewhat spoiled by the mobile technology revolution because the affordability of devices like the iPad and subsequently the, the stuff like the Google Chromebooks meant that schools did move towards one-to-one environments, whether that was using banks of devices or in a lot of cases, implementing bring your own device policies. And, you know, it got to the point where we saw, um, you know, and, and the assumption was made that for any technology deployment to be successful, it had to be one to one because otherwise students were not making the most of their time. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's true. I think the digital pedagogy has evolved beyond the point where teachers will leave a queue of kids well, one person has a go, you know, as we saw in the 80s when every school had one PC on a trolley. You know, we have moved beyond that. We understand that that isn't acceptable, but there are numerous ways that you can integrate a limited number of uh, headsets into a classroom and still have, uh, you know, a pedagogically viable approach to to learning, you know, and still make sure that students are um getting the most out of the the learning time um whether that be working collaboratively in pairs and you know one person is in an experience and the other person is you know collaborating with them either as a scribe or as a prompt or um you know or, or using systems where you've got labs and you know you're rotating as part of a carousel or a, you know a a, a free flow uh, style setup I did an interview the other day and the gentleman that I was interviewing also talked about the efficacy of having either a partner or, you know, several other students outside the VR headset listening and watching so that the student can just talk them through what they're seeing and what they're doing and actually recording that as formative assessment for the teacher uh, to look back on. You know, we always get so caught up in, well, how are we going to test the kids? You know, how's VR going to help them with uh, assessment? And this was a brilliant way of using, you know, just a simple, let's record what they're saying to the kids outside VR as a form of, you know, understanding and formative assessment. Yeah. And, and on top of that, once once you are, you know, once you head into the realm of six off and room scale becomes a factor, then, you know, the there are health and safety concerns once you're talking about huge scale or large scale deployments, whole class deployments. So having, um, you know, having partners that are acting almost like a spotter in a gym whilst simultaneously being involved in the learning process, you know, it's, it's like a two for one. You're, get, you're getting two lots of benefits out of that, um, out of that structure. You know, besides uh, awful roller coaster experiences, I do get the odd person that says, you know, uh, Craig, I'm not really interested in VR. I've tried it. It was uninspiring. And when I unpack that, I find out that, you know, they tried Google Cardboard. What are your thoughts? Like some people say Google Cardboard has sort of wrecked it and turned people off of, you know, they think VR is, you know, three off only, you know, they, they haven't done their homework. And so they think when they hear the word VR, they think Google Cardboard. Did it did it wreck it for a while for VR, or do you think it was just a nice stepping stone? Yeah, um, it's the whole poisoning the well analogy. It's yeah, it, 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 it's the truth. It, it, it's it's inescapably the truth of what's happened. I've had so many experiences. Um, I mean, literally, uh, the, the one of the school leaders, uh, uh, Jess, um, 
he not long after I got my original Vive, he came around my house. I put him through the usual plethora of you know planks, tilt brush, whale experiences, all the usual Google Earth, all those kind of things. And literally at the end of the night, he said, he said, you know, I sat through a presentation last year about virtual reality, and this was a, a presentation about using Google Cardboards. He said, and I sat there thinking, nah, it's, it's nothing special. He said, but this, but as soon as I've put this on, I understand it now. Um, and, you know, I've seen this uh, again and again and again where the misconception is the single biggest friction point in terms of adoption because people's exposure is solely through, you know, 360 media. And, and you know, the, the analogy that I like to draw is, you know, yes, you can look at 360 media in VR headsets, but it's the equivalent of listening to the radio on a television. Just, you know, I can listen to radio stations on the television, but it doesn't make those radio stations TV. It doesn't make them a, a show because there's, there, there isn't anything to show. It's just I'm using a, a, a different medium to access that that content. Um, and, you know, th- 360, you know, I, I've got no, no problem with using 360 media in the classroom. You know, it, it offers great equitable access um because it will work on any device so you know if you've got limited numbers of headsets um being able to access uh 3d off content and in particular 360 media it is uh, it is a stepping stone but yeah we do need to be cautious that at the same time how we are branding this and how we are explaining this uh, uh these concepts to people can it you know, can definitely influence their understanding of the of the medium as a whole and true and what true immersion you know really is i think is an important sort of point to to bring to people's attention yeah you know you've written quite a few articles which uh, i of course have read tell me one of your favorite articles that you've done um well i, I mean <sighs> <laughs> all right okay so so in terms of vr stuff i've essentially got three mediums um I've got my own site, virtualityteach.com, which is even since I've launched my own consultancy has remained a non-profit venture, very much like my my iPad site back in the day. You know, I've, I've turned down numerous requests for advertising for, for Virtuality, but it's never been about that. It's always just been about sharing best practice. In terms of my favorite article on there, I do have a soft spot for the 100th article, which was uh, where I had this crazy idea to ask 100 people within the industry, within the education industry, within the AR, VR in- industry, 100 people for 100 words about AR and VR in education and you know, curating that volume of submissions from all over the world was a mammoth task, but you know, it, I did it. And it's one that still gets referenced today, which, so I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And there's some, you know, there's some phenomenal people on, the, on that list of... Uh, of contributors there, you know, including people like Jeremy Balenson, Tom Furness. Um, then I started in 2018, I started writing some articles about education for VR focus. Uh, in terms of favorite ones from VR focus, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that I, I, I was glad to see published was, uh, there's an article about, um, uh, how the, Various aspects, various features of VR games can be transposed to uh, the medium of learning. Um, you know, we we are in that position where you know <laughs> zombies will always sell more than uh, science labs. You know, so the the industry is still nascent; it is still developing, and you know, studios are somewhat reluctant to invest their time and efforts into developing learning content and so that you know they're producing on a grander scale we're seeing studios investing the time in producing gaming content because gaming content obviously sells more which you know there's logic there um but there's some fantastic examples of you know structures and um you know ui and and just different elements of various games that I've played where I'm like, oh, you know, a, an education version of this, you know, or take that aspect and, and transpose it into an education setting and it could work wonders. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would uh, I'd definitely say that one from the VR focus. 
Um, and then, yeah, recently in the, in the last two months, I've actually, um, I was delighted to actually start writing some guest articles for Forbes Middle East over here. Uh, started with one just about the, the rise of VR in, in 2020 as a, as a kind of side effect of the pandemic. And then I've just written a second one about uh, skills training, soft skills training and, you know, uh, training, uh, learning and development using virtual reality. Uh, and I've got two more in the works for them as well. So um, I, I, I wouldn't say I've necessarily got a favorite from the Forbes ones because there's only two there at the moment. But um, yeah, just delighted to be able to, to write for uh, an, an organization as prestigious as Forbes. Well, and they're they're so well written. They're succinct. I love sort of the language of it. You know, it's not uh, overtly academic, which makes it obviously more readable for the general public. So, you know, I want to go back to your, your quick talk about gaming and the gaming industry, because I do uh, lean towards agreeing with you. And that is that, you know, upon first glance, some virtual reality games don't seem educational, but, you know, take all the first person shooter games out of it. There's a lot that a student can learn from a well-crafted gaming experience. There's, you know, often you're changing identity, there's systems thinking, there's strategy, and so uh, I've been impressed. I've rolled out a few VR games at some of the schools that I've been at, and I thought maybe I would get some pushback from parents, but I never did. And so it's it's nice to see that that sort of myth that kids shouldn't be playing games and it's bad for them uh, cognitively is is starting to go away. Yeah, I mean, uh, to, to be honest, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of gamification. I, you know, dating back a decade, I, I I've stood up at conferences and delivered presentations around gamification, um, particularly the work of Yukai Chow, who, you know, has his Octalysis model around the, you know, the different aspects of gamification. And um, yeah, I mean, there are, there, there, there are plenty of examples. I mean, going back, you know, bringing two of the, our discussion points together here, we were talking about, you know, the, the one to, whether you need one-to-one and, you know, students, being involved in the learning process, but not necessarily having enough headsets for, for a one-to-one environment. You take a game like um, uh, Akron, Akron, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you pronounce yep. it, you know, the, the squirrel game, where yep. one one player is in the headset as the tree and the other, I think it's up to three or four players, can join from a mobile device and they join into the same, uh, and they essentially play squirrels that are attacking the tree. Um, you know, I wish that there were more experiences and I, I'm not necessarily talking now about the kind of social multi-user experiences where, you know, you've got access from a, t- from a tablet, but actual collaborative experiences, but within the, the, the uh, learning ecosystem that apply that kind of um, user interface that you see in something like Acron where, you know, right. So one person's going to be in the headset and other people are going to interact with them through um you know through the uh through a mobile device or or, you know again you take something like keep talking and nobody explodes where one person's Mm -hmm. in the headset but the other players are engaged with them using analog resources you know that's also a a great example of how to make the most of potentially limited amounts of hardware when we're still at the point where schools are either reluctant to invest in hardware or simply don't have the the funds to invest in the, the higher level hardware right now. What a great example. There's a couple others that are new out that sort of fit that same genre too. Uh, space Team VR is similar mm. to Akron, except now you've got a spaceship and it's sort of all these things are going wrong. And so one person can have the VR headset and then you can actually play on your computer. It doesn't even have to be your phone and you have to work together calling out sort of things that have gone wrong and so that's another good one. And I think Resolute Games has a new one, Something Cookout, which is similar where there's a whole bunch of people around a table and they have to sort of work together as a team to try and build some sort of uh, food cooking experience. I, I haven't played it yet, but I, I just read that. So that's, mm. Steve, great example of how, you know, there is efficacy in these VR games, especially when they're asymmetrical, which you mentioned means one person in the headset and a whole bunch of other people working as a team outside of the headset. I I was surprised you didn't mention one article that I, I want to talk about and then have you elaborate on. I remember one you wrote, I wasn't sure whether it was VR focus or not, but you listed and then talked about taking Bloom's taxonomy and you lined it up with 
VR experiences, which you know I I still use to this day in some of my talks with parents and so on. Do you remember that article and how you know you talked about the lower rung of Bloom's taxonomy? You know, might link to this kind of VR experience, and then you talked about as you go higher up. And Bloom's talks about more challenging types of thinking where the top of the pyramid is creating. And then you listed a whole bunch of examples of VR experiences related to creating. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be honest, if, if you said, tell me too, from, from your own site, that, that probably would have been the, the second one that, that would have come to mind. Um, the, the Bloom's article for, for anyone that hasn't read the, the, or doesn't know the story behind that was, uh, um, it was a labor of love and somewhat disaster at the same time. It was something that I originally, uh, I originally started throwing ideas around for in, uh, I think it was too early 2018, very quickly hit a brick wall in terms of just trying to get my head around the concept roped in Stephen Sato, Alex Johnson and, uh, and Chris Long to, to brainstorm. And we had for, for some time, we were back and forth in a, in a little kind of PLC around the project. And in the end, we, we stuck a pin in it for a little while. And then uh, it was, I think it was early 2019. I had decided to, to go back to it and, and, and try and drive the project home. And then it was not long after that, that sadly Chris died uh, unexpectedly, which, uh, torpedoed the whole project for, oh, and, and very much a, a lot of the work that I was doing um, at that time. And, you know, then it, it, it got to the point in, in 2020 with the the guest conference here, which is uh, the, the biggest education conference in the Middle East. You know, it's our equivalent of like BET in London or um, ISTE in the States. And, um, uh you know, for the last two years, I've, I've hosted the, I've coordinated and hosted the immersive tech stage for them. And I needed a kind of prestige presentation to go for that. And it, it, I, I decided that it would be the, the honorable thing to do for, for Chris's memory to try and drive that project home, which is what I did with, um, with some help at the tail end from Alex, who was over uh, with me for, for the conference. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because the, the wall that we hit was at the lowest level of blooms with the remember um, and just not being able to align any experiences and tried several times to push a square peg into a round hole and just couldn't because the, the nature of the medium just completely circumvented that lower order thinking skill there was nothing there that was the equivalent of flashcards or the types of experiences that you would associate with that you know lowest order thinking skill and the you know simultaneously the the, the whole point of the project uh, was relatively easy to 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 make which was that vr was more than just a medium for absorbing and consuming content which was another common misconception partly due to the uh, as you mentioned before about the, the the kind of poisoning the well of 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 three doff and and the you know the synonymity between 360 media and virtual reality that that had been drawn over those those couple of years but you know as you head towards the higher levels of vr there were there was a wealth of experiences that were easy to align to the different higher order thinking skills like analyzing evaluating and in particular creation um so yeah that it, it was a it was a long time coming that project but i i am glad that it, it finally saw the light of day and yeah it's it you can access the the full write-up and the uh, and the graphic and everything on on virtual teach i bet a lot of your work with schools and educators is Steve, you know, tell me the the best app for this or Steve, give me like your top 10 apps I must have on my headset once I, I buy uh, said headset. So um, I'm going to spare some people some pain here and I'm going to do a bit of rapid fire. I'm going to list something like a, um, a okay. category and, and you tell me then what uh, your favorite app would be for that particular category or learning uh Learning category, I guess, as well. We'll Yeah, okay. Okay, go on then. Yeah. All right. Favorite app to allow students to build or create something? Uh, Tilt Brush. 
easily tilt brush. right okay. from the very beginning tilt brush the, the 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 learning curve on tilt brush is just perfect you can yep. put kids in tilt brush that have never used it before and they'll produce something in 20 minutes that will blow your mind um it just makes sense to them because uh it's it's a, a 3d space and this this minecraft generation have grown up accessing 3d spaces um yeah definitely tilt brush easily and then and the, i'll add to that the beauty of that is usually a teacher is using vr or a few vrs almost like a station and they're doing something else with a group of kids somewhere else in their classroom or whatever so it's not like they're really hands-on with the student they're hoping that whatever uh vr app that the student is using is as you alluded to a too intuitive enough that they don't need a lot of coaching etc so well said Okay, favorite app for uh, puzzle problem solving, you know, teaching elastic thinking skills? Um, no, in, in recent years, I really liked Gadgeteer. Gadgeteer, you know, where you're creating these Rube Goldberg-style machines and, you know, you've got a problem, you know, ideate them and, you know, solve problems if they don't work the way that you would like. Um, prior to that, something like Fantastic Contraption, I suppose, was, was a, a it, its obvious predecessor. Um, I'm, I'm surprised and kind of disappointed that they haven't ported something to the quest. I really enjoyed Fantastic Contraption, and I I speak highly of it all the time. It's just you can not get Gadgeteer available. on the quest. Gadgeteer is available yep. on the quest, but that, that's definitely yep. the, the the most broadly accessible one I think at this point because it's, it's across all those platforms. I I have tried back in the day. I've tried a couple of nice. Um, betas of you know stem kind of experiences that never quite made the light of day but could have been um you know could have been sort of nice examples in in, in this regard uh you know things that were almost like virtual lego kits you know virtual mm. evo kits and stuff like that um but uh yeah i'd probably say gadgeteer then yeah okay uh favorite narrative storytelling where you know, obviously with a VR he- headset, especially sixed off, the the participant or the users, you know, kind of has a bit of agency and is involved in the storyline somehow. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Because I was going to, when you started saying narrative, I was going to cheat here and say within. Um, okay. I, I, and I, you know, host- I, because, uh, yeah, because, <laughs> because by, by saying that one platform, you know, and within is some, still something. You know, if, if you are looking for 360 media to use in an educational setting, there, there's there's very few better places to start than with within because, it, you know, it'll work on any platform. It's completely free and it's got some just stunning uh, and award-winning um, 360 narratives on there across a the range. The Clouds of, of Sidra, right, is one, is one of them on there. Is that correct? Yeah, the cloud, you've got Clouds yeah. of Sidra, you've got the Africa series, you've got um, – the Andy Circus narrated one. I've used that with IB students before uh, for physics. Um, the, is it we made, made we are made of stars or we are the stars? I can't remember the title. Mm-hmm. In terms of an, an app where you've got a bit more freedom of the narrative, I mean, I'm tempted to say the Anne Frank experience. Um, yep. You've got a, a degree of, of agency there. Um, you know, again, though, there, there are some game experiences like alone that are you know quite breathtaking in, in in the way that they engage you with the narrative but it's whether or not with with, with experiences like that you know even something like operation apex that from curoscope that is essentially a narrative experience mm-hmm. um the problem that you get with some of those experiences and this is you know this comes back to another article that i wrote for for vr focus way back in when I started in, in 2018, um, which was about, you know, things that developers need to be conscious of if they're building educational experiences. And, and one of those kind of cautionary tales was the lengths of the experience. Um, because, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of lessons in a school day. And if you've got a lot of students and not a lot of hardware, you know, you can't afford them to sit through a 15 minute introduction before they even do anything. Um, Titanic VR from Immersive VR Education is another great example. You know, absolutely phenomenal experience, but probably too long for a classroom setting. Um, And if you don't sit through those initial chapters, you don't learn 
the the controls and you don't master the interface and so you you know you can't really skip past that to engage with the with the more uh relevant historical or in the case of operation apex the more scientific content is there a sweet spot then for time um sweet spot for time i think it depends on the age of the learners and it depends on the setup of the hardware um you know it's a lot easier to deploy a, a 360 narrative that's available through within or even on YouTube to a whole class of learners on mobile headsets or indeed on any headsets where they're seated, you know, you can deploy them synchronously. Um, whereas if you're rotating a bank of six off headsets or using a small lab and you've got to rotate students into the lab, you know, you, you've got to moderate the time. Um, but also, yeah, taking into account the age of the students and and what would be appropriate depending on on the uh the relative age and the relative hardware good 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 diversion Di- ah. good duck <laughs> good, good duck sorry <laughs> last one F- favorite soft skills application oh okay so you know i, I so I, i'm one of the judges for the world vr awards and and uh i, I judge the education and training category and the medical category and there were some brilliant examples in each but in particular in the in the training category this year there was a couple of really nice soft skill uh, examples but i don't think if memory serves i don't think the, the the winners have been announced yet so i'm i'm not gonna put my foot in my mouth and sort of indicate who i might have voted for um i mean the the kind of I would say one of the, the the leading examples for a number of years now, dating back to, again, right back to when I just had a mobile headset in sort of 2014, 2015, uh, is uh, virtual speech. You know, that is ostensibly just a an app for practicing public speaking, but under the hood, if you if you dive into the full suite, you know, there's a there is a whole spectrum of uh, of of soft skill training there related to different aspects of, of, of the business world. And, I, and I've seen that integrated successfully in, in various business studies departments. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the, the best examples, both in terms of, you know, the ones I've seen this year in, in the awards and, you know, the ones that are publicly available, um, the best examples of, of, of soft skills apps are the ones that gather the most data and provide the richest metrics uh, at the back end, you know, there are examples where you're, uh, you know, not just the choices that you make within a scenario are, are uh, recorded, but your speech patterns, your eye contact, um, the sorts of things that can be make or break when it comes to job interviews or business deals. Or the amount of time you pause between your responses. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I just, uh, talked last week with body swaps which i believe is out of the uk and uh, it was a fascinating chat they're trying to roll out you know a, a more generic one for k-12 to but uh, the gentleman talked a bit about some of the body swaps apps that they have for college as well as enterprise and it was just fascinating to hear some of the metrics that they provide mm. okay let's move on um okay the one of the other things that comes up a lot and I'm sure you've had to sort of talk about is just VR platforms. So it seems like it's the the wild west when it comes to someone who's new to VR and often will lean on consultants like you because they don't know where to find a VR, an educational VR app. Of course, there's VR apps on Steam and the Oculus Store, but, you know, bes- bespoke educational VR apps tend to right now sit on some company or content developers website and is incredibly hard to find, you know, how do we fix this? Or is this a problem to you? Tell me a bit about this issue. Um, yeah, I, 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 I definitely would say it's a problem there. You know, if you, if you've got an iPad, you know where you get your apps from, you get them from the app store. Um, and, you know, having that one central hub of content, um, you know, notwithstanding web-based applications, um, it, it makes it fairly straightforward. But, you know, we're talking about 
Steam, but then Oculus want to keep some stuff on just their store. And then Viveport have got their own thing going on. And now there's a, a lot more people pushing towards the web. It, it does make it, uh, as you say, a bit of a wild west. It does make it somewhat confusing. Um, obviously, it does, depending on, on the hardware that, uh, that an institution invests in, it does therefore inform the sources that they can can go to. So, for example, the school group that I worked with towards the end of the last academic year, they rolled out a, a, a batch of, of Oculus Quests. And, um, you know, so I, I, I put them together documentation that showed the, the, the content that was available to them from the Oculus Store, the content, the educational content that was available to them through SideQuest and the educational applications that they could access, you know, like Frame, like they're just web-based that we're, or, or Mozilla Hubs where you don't need to actually uh, necessarily download anything um uh it it definitely makes it tricky you know to a degree i think that vive have the 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 best approach i I liked the vive port infinity you know i blogged about that when it first launched as you know a a really good approach for schools especially in the modern era where you've got that kind of you know, I know it's kind of a cliche to say it, but the Netflix of, of VR, wherein, you know, it's all you can eat and you can drag and drop stuff in and out of your playlists as much as you want. Um, the problem being that, you know, Vive, especially for Western developers, continues to be not a priority because the headsets don't have the um, the the uptake that the, that the Oculus headsets do in the West. And so... You know that you, you don't get the same range, and, and, and in a lot of cases, I don't think you get the same quality uh, inside the, the the Vive Port Store, unfortunately, right now. Uh, and uh, I think if you know if all of that good content that you can find, great content you can find in some cases on Steam, and in some cases on the Oculus Store, would would just come together into one hub. Yeah, it, it would definitely be a lot easier. And you know, Vive again, Vive have tried their best to 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 open the doors you know they open viveport to oculus users but facebook are facebook and they want to keep everything on lock and they want it to be you know you come to us and you only get it from us and you know what we'll sell you a new headset and you can buy the exact same app all over again um <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, too you know, bad i mean this is you why think I about shopping be, sorry go on. I was just going to say, you know, I can't help but sort of pull the analogy of shopping for cars. Nowadays, you know, most places around the world, all the car dealers are all in one shop. And so, you you know, you know that drives competition, but it also makes it easier on the, the buyer or the person shopping. Yeah. And yet, you know, I, I feel for people who are new to VR because, you know, the Steam and Oculus are gaming platforms. They're not yeah. educational platforms. Yeah. They don't promote you know they and they don't even tag or label you know that this is sort of the educational value that you would get out of these they don't even have categories necessarily that are well sort of tagged to say here's great educational content yeah which which is why i like here in dubai i would still say the most prevalent uh vr hardware that has been deployed across schools here in dubai is the class VR from Avantis over in the UK, um, which are the the orange headsets. You may have seen them. You know they they are they're three DOF headsets. Um, so obviously that their their scope is somewhat limited in terms of the content that they can deliver. But what they offer is that turnkey solution that schools look for. You know all the headsets come in a box. The boxes uh, the charge solution for them it's also the the, the ability it gives you the ability to port them around cart them around the school there's a web app and from the web app teachers can build playlists of of all the content which they've already got all organized into different subject categories that content can then be pushed to all the headsets it can be launched on all the headsets and controlled from a, a, a central hub and again this comes back to something i said much earlier when in the discussion we we're talking about being somewhat spoiled by iPads and the, you know, uh, it's again, something I've said before in, in other interviews that when I was using iPads in 2011, 2012 in the classroom, if we wanted to deploy an app, we had to, you know, buy it and then manually go around 50, a hundred iPads, installing it again and again and again. And 
then we had to use it in a classroom by telling students, right, we want you all to open this app. You flash forward to now and, you know, you've got MDMs to deploy the content. You've got Apple Classroom, which allows you to open the app on every device from your teacher device. You can pause it, you can mute it. And, you know, something like ClassVR or also, you know, something like um, uh, Grove, you know, the Grove platform for, for Oculus Quest, you know, offering the, the MDM style classroom management functionality that that's all part of the puzzle, you know, and, and for me, it is somewhat frustrating because you look at what Oculus are doing with their, you know, the quality and the price point on the headsets, but they don't have the rest of it in place for education. You look at what Vive have got with their, their organization of their XR suite and, and also the, you know, the Vive Port Infinity offering, and then that piece of the puzzle sitting over there, you look at something like class VR and what they've got and the, you know, their, their, their MDM and the classroom management stuff. And that's sitting over here and nobody's brought all of the elements together yet into that sweet spot that makes it all work in unison perfectly. And um, yeah, we, we can, but hope that that comes relatively soon. Yeah. You crystallized the, uh, the problem quite, quite well, quite clearly. Let's talk about, you know, the future. What is, uh, you know, what are your, some of your long-term or short-term goals with digital inception or, you know, maybe even personally with VR? Um, to, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm pivoting slightly away from the education sector. Uh, and this is, it, it is somewhat of a, of a side effect of, uh, of the, of the pandemic, to be honest with you. It is, over here in in the in the Middle East, in the UAE, in particular, and especially here in Dubai, that it's a, a essentially a private school, international school system. The schools all took a real hit financially when they were forced to reduce the school fees when the schools went to distance learning, very much like the colleges in in the states did. Um, and so, all the schools here have started the academic year on a deficit, and you know, purse strings have tightened, and in, interest in you know, new things right now uh, <laughs> and innovation right now has very much had a pin put in it because the focus has been on how do we deliver hybrid learning? How do we facilitate kids coming in onto the sites again safely? Um, but um, so, yeah, so I, I what I've done is, is, is pivoted instead towards the learning and development space. Uh, I've got a couple of projects up and running with some 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 clients uh, both here and, and in other parts of the GCC that uh, are, are more in terms of, uh, you know, corporate learning, corporate training and, and, and development. Um, and I'm partnered with uh, one of the largest and most successful VR studios in the Middle East, you know, guys that have worked with clients like Porsche and Ikea and, um, uh, and Nike. So, you know, I've got, so I've got a good team in terms of development behind me. Um, but I, I am still working within the education sector in, in general. You know, obviously, I've spent two decades of my life working in education. It is still my, my, you know, my home. Um, and I'm, what I'm hoping to see is once the dust settles on on the pandemic and the, you know the vaccines come through and everything, that the the ultimate side effect, the ultimate positive side effect, silver lining, if you would have, uh, of of what happened with the school closures is that the baseline in education technology got raised. You know, all these schools that, you know, do you have Office 365? Do you have G Suite? Yes, we do. Yeah, 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 we've got that. But were they using it? No, not really. You know, maybe 50% of the staff were using it. The others only touched it during a lesson observation or an inspection or when they felt they had to. But what the, the shift to distance learning meant was everyone had to. Everyone had to become fluent with the cloud. Everyone had to learn how to use video uh, conferencing tools, how to use collaborative documents, how to use uh, cloud-based storage systems. And a lot of the work that I did when I initially became a consultant, you know, I'd go in schools and they'd know me as the VR guy and they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we we're really interested in VR. And then, you know, a, a quick digital audit later and it'd be like, right, I think you guys need to focus on getting your your house in order before you worry about what's next you need to worry about what's now because your you know you, your infrastructure isn't in place your staff don't know how to use these core tools which should be your your digital backbone and now with that backbone becoming much stronger i'm hoping that what that's going to do is allow schools to look to what's next and to look 
to the innovative solutions and to think about, you know, what what would this look like if the same thing happened? If another pandemic hit in 2025, what what would our solutions look like? Are, are we still going to be leaning into teams? And also, what will the rest of the education space be using? Because we don't want to be, you know, left left behind. So I'm hoping that this will lead to a, a, a surge in, in the, the use of immersive media. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, no one, well, I shouldn't say no one. The average person, as we know, isn't a, f- a fan of change. So sometimes you need that little push, right? So that change becomes a little bit more part of your DNA. So hey, my, how my, can people... My, you know what, man? My, my favorite definition of innovation, a guy called Jamie Notter, innovation is change that unlocks new value. It's my all-time favorite definition of, of what like innovation that, yeah. is. Innovation is change that unlocks new value, yeah? Immersive yes. technology, you know, spatial computing, however you want to dub it, is not just another gadget. It is the evolution of computing. It is the evolution of how we engage with digital media, and it unlocks so much new value across so many different uh, aspects of teaching and learning that it is a change. It's a monumental shift from touchscreen tablets to uh, to wearables to, to headsets. It, it is, and it is a little bit scary, but it, there is so much value there that it, as long as schools can start to understand that value proposition, that ROI, that you know they will start to uh, to to be brave and and to be bold. And you know, look what's happened this year. Look how amazingly the education community reacted and responded to this forced shift in, in the way that they, they worked, you know, that every educator in the world was, was, you know, deserved a medal for the, for the way that they adapted this year to ensure that learning kept going. Well said. I mean, that's what a great way to end. It's like a mic drop right there. Steve. (laughs) If if people uh, wanted to get a hold of you, how might yeah. they? How might they do that? Um, yeah, I mean, people can email me, Steve at digitalinception.ae. Uh, I live on an inbox of zero, so if you email me, I always email back. Um, wow. You can get me on LinkedIn. Just type in Steve Banbury uh, on, on Twitter, Steve underscore Banbury on Twitter. Um, they're they're you know, this is probably your best three uh, mediums to, to to reach me. I would say. Awesome. I'll put those in the uh, show notes. Listen, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, you weave a good tale, which is uh, makes it exciting and interesting and easy to interview you. So uh, I appreciate you being on my 50th episode and uh, wish you all the best as you sort of shift a little bit and be more agile towards a bit of the enterprise side as well as education. Thanks, man. Nice to speak to you, Craig. Okay. Take care.